Now's a great time for you to take out the sermon outline. There are lots of blanks there. Get a pen, and if you're having one of these, you can have a little discreet walk out and get a copy from the uh, table as you came into the church. Or if you're watching online, you can get a copy by going to our website. And if you go there, you can see in front of you what we've got here in our hot little hands as well. Well, let me uh, lead us in prayer. We ask our Heavenly Father that now as we come to this psalm, Psalm 130, that we would understand what it means to have true hope in you. And we pray that you would speak to us now by your spirit through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Why are so many of us feeling hopeless? I mean, it's a pretty down way to start a sermon. But it just seems to me that our world is feeling more hopeless than ever. When I was a teenager back in the 1980s, uh, when Kate Bush first released Running Up That Hill, uh, we didn't really talk a lot about mental health. Uh, I didn't know of any teenager in my school or really couldn't, I couldn't even think of any other schools where there was somebody who attempted to take their life. There was no Are You OK Day because we didn't really stop to think that much about Are We OK? We just kind of, kind of were, kind of. It's not to say that it wasn't there, but, but really it felt like, well, I don't know, maybe I'm just being an old man, but it felt back then that there was more hope than there, were, there, there is today. I don't know whether you think the same, if you're a similar age to me or a bit older or a little bit younger, but just seems like there's less hope today. And yet, back then, we were far less prosperous than we are today. In real terms, it was three times cheaper to get appliances... Uh, sorry, it was three times more expensive to get appliances and clothing and cars and airline travel. So why are we not three times happier? The problem is that we're now more hopeless than we've ever been. We're richer than ever. But I think we're sadder than ever. If money buys happiness, then why are so, so many people taking their lives? If wealth brings security, then why are so many people suffering from anxiety? We're richer. But I think we're sadder. And I think we're more hopeless than ever. So what's taken away our hope? Well, we know this for sure. Uh, money and wealth does not bring happiness and hope. Because if you think that you'll be happier when you're wealthier, then you're foolish. And I think modern-day Australia is, is irrefutable evidence of that. But at the same time we've become wealthier, another thing has happened. And that is that we've broken away from community. We've shifted sharply towards individualism. Now it's all about you. And you need to find out who you really are. And as you search for your true identity, you need to do it by yourself. You need to discover yourself, and we're not going to give you a map. 
And this journey is a journey that only you can take. And what's more, it's probably better that you don't really listen to anybody else as you take this journey. Don't listen to your parents. Don't listen to institutions. And certainly don't listen to God. You need to listen to yourself alone. And then in your private journey to self-realisation, you will finally find your true identity. But if you get lost on that journey, or you stumble on that path, then we'll say, are you okay? But we know that really you've got to make this journey all on your own. We've cut you off and we've left you to find the journey yourself. That all sounds pretty bleak, doesn't it, really? But I think that's where our world has gone. And I think things are getting worse and worse. Which is why tonight I want to offer a radical alternative to hopelessness. I want to bring you something totally different to the word of the world. I want to bring you to the word of God. And in particular, I want to bring you to Psalm 130, which is a, a short little poem in the Bible that brings us hope. And a, not just a kind of a, a positive outlook kind of hope, but a, but a certainty for eternity kind of hope. Not hope that comes from looking inside yourself, but, but hope that comes from looking to Jesus. For most of us in this room now, we, we know Jesus and we have our hope in him. We're not hopeless because Jesus is our true hope. But it's likely that some of you in this room or some of you who are watching our live stream now or listening to our podcast, it may well be that you have not put your hope in Jesus just yet. Maybe you once did, but now you've kind of wandered away from that. Or maybe you never have and you're thinking about it. And if you've been trying to find hope by looking inside, you'll know that it's not working. And so today I want to invite you back to Jesus. I want you to come to Jesus to find true hope. But no matter where you stand with Jesus, I want now for us to come together on this ride. And we start with the first line of this poem, this psalm, and it is... A song of ascents. Uh, it's a song for going up. Uh, it's a song that was for the going up, the journey going up to Jerusalem, to where the temple was. Now, I couldn't ever work out why it kept talking about going up to Jerusalem all the time, especially if you were north of Jerusalem. Why would you go up to Jerusalem? Wouldn't you go down to Jerusalem? It's kind of like if you, you know, if you you go to Sydney, you go up to Sydney or you go down to Melbourne. But, but then I actually visited in, to Israel and realised that Jerusalem is right on the top of a steep hill and the bus goes up, 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 up and if you're walking up that hill, by the end of it, you would have got sore legs. You go up and as they went up to go to the temple to meet with God, there were certain psalms that they would sing together, these songs of ascent and this is one of them. They are now going there, they're going up to meet the Lord. 
Now, we don't go up to meet the Lord anymore. We don't go there physically. The temple doesn't mean that to us anymore. We, we go to Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. If you want to be in the presence of God, you go to Jesus. You come to Jesus and you trust in him and his spirit is in us. And that's how we have connection with God. But, but we do, in a sense, ascend to Jesus as we go on that journey by his Holy Spirit, as we come into his presence by hearing his voice. And that is a journey that we are going to take now together in the next little while. This is the journey, this is going up to meet the Lord together. And it begins with this, first one. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. It starts in a, in a literal depression, a hole, a, a deep hole. This songwriter is in the depths of despair. If you spoke to the songwriter at this time and you said, are you okay? I think they'd have to say, no, I'm in the depths of despair. I'm in the depths. And I think this is a fresh reminder that it's okay, it's actually good to be real with God. Don't hide your feelings from God. Be real with him. And when you're in a hole, tell him, Lord, I'm in a hole. It's not like you need to sort of say, well, I need to be happy, happy, happy when I come and talk to God or he won't listen to me because he only has happy people around him. Really? Should have told this guy who wrote this psalm. He wants us to be real with him and to tell him when we're in a hole. That's what this song does for us. It models us how to talk to God. And it's right to be real. But how should they respond to God from the depths? Well, there it is again, verse 1. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. He cries out to the Lord from his hole. He cries out, he calls out, he yells out to the Lord God. And he cries out using the special name that God gave to his special people. He cries out to his Lord. He's not a distant God. God, if you're out there, can I, or oh, whatever. It's, no, 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 it's the, the God he knows. The Lord is his Lord. He's using the name that the Lord God gave to Moses way back when the burning bush was there and they were in such despair in Egypt. The Lord says, I'm going to give you my own special name, Yahweh, the Lord. And it's now the name that we use to speak to the Lord Jesus. This person here is in a deep hole and yet from their depression they know where to go. But what is it that he cries out to the Lord? Verse 2. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. The first thing he cries out is, well, he basically asks the Lord to give him his attention. You know, it's like when you're having a conversation with somebody and they're kind of like, yeah, 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 whatever, and they're kind of looking phones or, or thinking else or whatever, and you think, I don't think they actually really listen to me. Now, it's a pretty big call if you're speaking to God and you're saying, God, listen to me. It's like, whoa, that's a pretty big thing to say well, the Lord's not actually listening to you, but this is actually what he's doing here. He's saying, I really need you to give, my undivided give me your undivided attention. I want you to listen to me like I'm the only human here on this planet. I reckon it's a pretty bold thing for this person to speak to the Lord. But why does he ask this of the Lord? 
Well, why would he be wanting to do this? What does he ask of the Lord? Well, when you've been in a dark place, when you've been in a deep hole, then what have you wanted? When you've been in a hole, when you've been in a depression, what have you cried out for? Maybe you cry out for light in your darkness or direction when you're lost or just relief from that deep pain that you can't escape. What does this writer of the psalm cry out for? He cries out for mercy. Didn't expect that, did you? From his depression, he cries to God to give him mercy. Now, we might just think that it's mercy from his suffering, but it's not. It's not relief from the pain, but it's mercy from something far, far more serious. And it's in the next verse we see just what it is. Verse 3, it says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? Here's the key. He wants mercy from the impact of his sins. This person is in the depths of his depression and he is crying out, Mercy, Lord. Have mercy on me from my sins. He recognises that the biggest problem that he faces is the prospect of punishment. And he knows that sin is the biggest problem that is facing humanity. And in fact, he knows that his own sin is his biggest problem. That is the biggest issue. See, the biggest problem is that by nature we are all rebels. We live life like we're our own God and we just think we might be able to get away with it. But we're like tenants who stopped paying rent and changed all the locks. We're like a child who has disowned his parents and yet still lives in the family house. We're all naturally rebels. And we're all naturally under God's anger. And if God keeps a record of all the times we've disobeyed him, whoa, you could not stand, I could not stand, none of us could stand. And that is a big, big problem. That is why we need his mercy more than anything. Mercy, Lord, mercy, Lord. Bring me mercy. That's what we need to cry out to God in our darkness. We need mercy from his natural anger towards us. And this is what it looks like, verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. The person in the depths cries out to the Lord for mercy from his sin. And he does that knowing that the Lord gives forgiveness. He knows that the Lord gives forgiveness. Forgiveness from the hurt that we've caused God when we've knifed him in the back. Forgiveness from the pain that we've caused God when we've ghosted him. Forgiveness from the anger that God rightly feels towards us for our rebellion against him and our mutiny. If God kept a record of all our wrongs, we could not stand. We would fall like dominoes. But instead, God brings us forgiveness. And we know that it comes at a cost. You can't say sorry 
without it costing you. And you definitely can't say, I forgive you. Because when you say, I forgive, you surrender your right to further action. You give up the rights to stay sorry, to stay angry with the offender. When you say, I forgive you, you're saying, I'm not going to be angry with you anymore. You walk away from retribution. You walk away from revenge. And when God says, I forgive you, he walks away from anger towards us. But for him, it was more costly than just him saying, well, I won't be angry with them anymore. Because the thing is that God is full not only of mercy, but also justice. He can't ignore our sins. He can't just shrug his shoulders and say, yeah, don't worry about it. Instead, he had to make the greatest sacrifice of all time. As we read in 1 John chapter 4, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Instead of God being angry at you or me, he's angry at his son Jesus. And that is a major cost. As a sacrificial lamb, Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. And the death of Jesus is the greatest sacrifice of all. And that's what brought the forgiveness that comes from God. That's the mercy that the psalmist cries out to God for. That's what he needs more than anything as he looks up to God out of his hole. Friends, I've got to say this is very, very countercultural. I don't know if you've noticed it. This is not the kind of advice you'll get from a typical teacher or counsellor or psychologist or GP or psychiatrist or motivational speaker. They're not going to tell you that if you're in a hole, you need to cry out to God for mercy. They're not going to tell you that your despair is from feeling God's anger. Sadly, many of those who are health professionals in this will tend to say things that will will encourage you to look for your own self-worth, to find your true identity, to develop well-being and resilience, grow your inner strength and so on and so on. Look to yourself, find the strength inside and everything will be fine. How's that going for us? Not so well, hey? This is why so many people in our village, valley and region and world are feeling so hopeless. If someone's drowning, you don't tell them to swim harder. Or look inside yourself. It's like, really? I can't breathe. I've got a lung full of water. When we're sinking, we need a saviour. And what our world needs is to speak honestly and truly about sin. And we need to recognise the only saviour, and that's Jesus. Looking for inner strength is ultimately futile. Because even if you make yourself happy, it doesn't solve the problem of God's judgement. But for now we see that the forgiveness from the mercy of God brings something else. 
It brings the opportunity to serve the Lord with gladness, with reverence. See, when we're forgiven by the Lord, we can serve him as he really is, the Lord of the universe. Which means, in other words, when we get this right, we understand our true place in the cosmos. We find our true meaning, our true purpose, our true worth. And it all comes from being a servant of the Lord. It comes from being a slave to Christ. Remember how Jude described himself in the opening verse of his letter from a couple of weeks ago we were looking at? He said, this letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. It wasn't like, you know, oh, I've got to be a slave. That, that's, that's his glory. I am a slave of Jesus. That's what I am made for. That is what I want to do more than anything. And that is fulfilling your purpose in life, to be Christ's slave. That is when true joy is found. It's when we gladly submit to the loving rule of the Lord Jesus. Our true identity, our true identity, is as a slave of Jesus. Don't, don't look inside yourself for your identity. Look outside yourself to Jesus. Come to him and serve him. Because that's the only way we'll ultimately get out of this hole into which we've fallen. It's the only way we'll find relief from our despair. You see, Jesus talked the same way. In Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. And to give his life as a ransom for many. That is the ultimate stance of the human, ser- human life. The ultimate stance of the ultimate human is serving. Not being served. Not grasping. But giving. And we can do this because we have first been forgiven from his mercy. But it doesn't stop here. Because we've been forgiven, we know that we have a new true future focus. That mercy and forgiveness gives us a new way of looking at the world. Have a look at this, verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. The song Starts with the crying out from despair, but now he waits for the Lord. He is patient. He is forward-looking. He is completely focused. He says, my whole being waits. He doesn't look to the now. He looks to the future. He knows that the Lord God is going to do something in the future that will be truly awe-inspiring. In the future, the Lord will do something that will truly shake the foundations of the earth. And this fact has completely changed his life. It completely occupies him. He's completely focused on the prize. And nothing will distract him from that. And so he waits for the Lord. But how does he do that? If I said to you, you need to wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, what would be your stance? What would be your focus? What would you do to make that happen? Well, he says... In his word, I put my hope. He focuses on the word of God. The only reason he can confidently wait on the Lord is because he's put his hope in the word of God. He knows that what the Bible says about the Lord is true. And that is what gives him hope for the future. It's not a hope that's kind of, 
well, I don't know, I hope so, a wishful thinking. This is a hope that is certain. He waits on the Lord because he has true hope in his word. And this is what it looks like, verse 6. He says, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. That's not a mistake. It's actually twice in the Bible. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. As we're we're reading this short little poem or singing this little song, it's going to jump out at you, isn't it? It's going to almost make you want to trip up because it says it twice. And you think, why is it saying it twice? Well, he wants us to notice it. He's kind of like somebody whose job it is. He's a kind of a security guy, right? And, and he's there, he's a bouncer, and he's waiting, and he's, and he's got the job until the sun comes up. And he waits, and it's cold, and it's dark, and, well, those dark times in the night can get pretty hairy if you're a security guard. And he is waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and he is eagerly awaiting the coming of that dawn. And as I was preparing this, it reminded me of what was said about Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. And waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. It's dark, 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 dark. Hang on, is the sun coming up? I can see it. I can see it. I can see it. Or John's prologue talks about his arrival in these words. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never, ever extinguish it. This is what the songwriter in the depths of his despair longed for. This is what he waited for. And he waited knowing it was definitely going to come. And with that, he speaks now, not to the Lord, where he says, I cry to you, or the other bit before that, he was was saying, I wait for the Lord, I cry to the Lord, I wait for the Lord. He now speaks to Israel. He says, verse 7, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He, He urges all of God's people to hope in the Lord, because the Lord has unfailing love. The Lord has unfailing love, love that will not fail, will not end, that is certain, that is worthy of our hope, love that is worth waiting for. (laughs) Because with that love came something very special, full redemption. God's people were once slaves, but now have been fully redeemed. And the redemption brings true freedom from sin, true relief from darkness, And it's all from the love of the Lord God. And it was completely worth it. Because now he says in the very final verse, he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The the point the psalmist makes here is that it's the Lord himself. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The Lord personally redeems them. This is very significant, friends. It's not like he staffs it out to somebody else or delegates and says, hey, over there, can you just sort out all this sin stuff, please? He actually rolls up his sleeves and deals with it personally. 
the Lord personally redeems his people. But how did he do that? How do you redeem all of God's people from their sins? Well, this psalm was written around about a thousand years before Jesus came along. And it turns out that everything that the psalmist waited for came true in Jesus. The psalmist cried out to God from the depths of despair for mercy, and he knew that God would answer his prayer. He was certain about it. And he hoped, and he waited, and he waited, and he hoped, and the Lord did exactly what he promised. He himself redeemed Israel from all her sins. And he did it by the death of Jesus. Which made me flick then to Titus chapter 2. Let me quote verses 11 to 14 to you and see if you can see how many themes actually match up with Psalm 130. I was quite surprised when I saw it. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness and devotion to God. While we look forward, while we look forward, while we wait, with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. This is how the Lord himself redeemed Israel from all their sins. And it's how the Lord himself redeems us today from all our sins. It's by putting our hope in the Lord Jesus. We need to put our hope in the Lord Jesus. We need to hope in him and wait for his return. Because he's already come to give his life to free us from all our sins. But soon he will bring us safely home so that we will experience in full the new creation. This is the only cure to the world's despair. This is the only hope for our hopeless world. This is the only source of our true identity. We can look for answers within ourselves, but we will draw a blank. Or we can look for answers in the word of the Lord. And we'll find redemption. If you are in a hole, if you are in a place of despair, it's okay to talk about God, talk to God about it. And as you look up and you cry out to him, know that he is worthy of your trust. He is worthy of your gaze, your focus, your cry for mercy. And he will deliver. I will wait for you. I will wait for you. On your word I will rely. I will wait for you. Surely wait for you. Till my soul is satisfied. We're going to stand and sing a song that we haven't done for a couple of years, but we did it a few times in 2020, I noted. And it's a song that's based on Psalm 130. If you don't know it, you'll pick it up pretty soon. Let's stand.